everybody, welcome to Video Night. This episode will be discussing um, Office-based movies. Uh, it's the 20th anniversary of Office Space, and I'm trying to find a movie that would fit perfectly, and I couldn't think of one, but my co-host, Mindy, did. She was like, what about a horrible boss? It's like, son of a bitch, that's so obvious. Why did I think of that? <laughs> Uh, sometimes it just comes to you, you know? Yeah, I was thinking like 9 to 5 or, or something like along. I don't even know what the other ones I threw at you, but none of them really seemed to work out. Um, but the attitude behind this one and um, Horrible Bosses are so similar. <laughs> yeah. Now, I would say Horrible Bosses is more wacky and outrageous, whereas a lot of the humor from Office Space comes from the tediousness of office life. But the re relatability of it. Yeah. The um Yes. I didn't appreciate Office Space when it first came out as much as I do now. And in fact if I remember correctly, this is going way back and I might be getting this wrong, but I feel like we were gonna go see a movie and Office Space came up as a as an option and I remember seeing the poster thinking it was stupid, the trailer was okay, but I felt like most of the jokes would probably be, you know, what you saw in the trailer. So if I remember correctly, I think I talked you guys into going to um, Wing Commander. Wing Commander. Oh, well, I 100, I 100% remember very vividly the viewing experience of Wing Commander to this day. Uh, so you're probably right. Yeah, my God. If there's anything for trash cinema, Star Wars ripoff movies, that's one of them. And I think we're the only ones in the theater, and we were laughing very hard at a movie that was not a comedy. <laughs> Um, maybe we should just do, like, a special sometime that's, like... Freddie Prince Jr. movies. <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr., yeah, yeah, maybe. Him and Matthew Lillard films. It's, got, it's like four of them, I think, or four or five. Um, he, yeah, he's actually been doing some more respectable things later in now in his career, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that he would have moved past all the crap. Yeah, you know who I thought that he did. And the thought should have broken out from this. And yes, he still gets work, and sometimes it's studio stuff, a lot of his TV stuff. But I watch it now, and I clearly see Ron Livingston is a leading man. He should have been on everybody's list. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not like he doesn't have a career. It's not like he didn't do plenty. Doesn't do plenty of stuff. But he is sort of like. You know, he's certainly not like a, a name that everyone knows. Maybe people know his face, but he should have been a, bigger than that. I think there's a problem in Hollywood with leads that are pleasant. I feel like everybody who's a lead mm. either has to be like arrogant and cocky or um, eccentric. And like Luke Wilson, who I, I compare Ron Livingston to quite a bit, especially since they were both in Mike Judge movies that bombed, um, extremely likable leads that are very talented and they seem to have no ego about them you never hear anything bad about them why is it it seems like it only worked with tom hanks like he seems to be the only like normal leading man like the everyday kind of guy yeah most of the time we reject these people because they're too relatable is that why maybe that's what it is maybe now we've gotten to the point in hollywood where we just want to disconnect and pretend to be people that are nothing like us I don't know. Maybe Chris Evans. Chris Evans seems to be pretty, like, middle-of-the-road, normal American guy that we can relate to. Does he? 
I think so. Does he? Well, hold on a second. Now I'm starting to think. I think a lot of his early roles, he was a really cool smartass and were never that cool. (laughs) He started his career being a smarmy. Yeah, that's true. Never mind for what I just said. I just think more about Captain America. And then he became Captain America, who is so not normal. Oh, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is someone that we can we can relate to who's kind of normal. Yeah. Okay. I, yes, I think I think that he. But the same thing with Paul Rudd. I mean, look, he, you know, he did. He's been acting forever. He, but he wasn't really a, a household name for. Uh, it took a very, very long time for him to really get his. That's true, and he kind of hit his stride you know? in his forties. I mean, I guess Robin Livingston's day yeah. isn't done, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, he doesn't want to be a star. A lot of people, I feel like they make choices not so much based on, hey, do I want to move up the ladder or do I want to do the right thing for my career? Like people like Eric Stoltz, I think about who just did, you know, good quality independent films. Sadly, people stop mm-hmm. asking him to do things, but that that's a quality that I saw in Ron Livingston, and I really enjoyed it this time, even though clearly his two sidekicks basically steal the movie. David Herman, and I'm going to say that wrong, I Jai and I do, um, as his mm-hmm. office cohorts, just absolutely kill me. Oh, well, I mean, you know, because he's the straight man. I mean, he gets to have plenty of fun, but because he's the sh- the straight man, they get to do all the kooky stuff, yeah. you know? Oh, and Diedrich Bader. I mean, he's barely in it, but when he is, he really sticks out like a sore thumb. Like, yeah, I remember those scenes. Yeah, uh, he is also like a, a guy who's super enjoyable, <laughs> but never really like going to be a household name, you know? I just love it. It's like, you ever have anybody ask you if you have a case of the Mondays? No, man. Um, Hell no. Man, you get your ass beat for something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what they were thinking about that whole character, just like pounding on the wall and they're like, hey, uh, uh, what does he say? Breast exam on channel seven. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, you know, I remember when this came out and I saw that um, Jennifer Aniston was going to be in it and she didn't seem like she was the main star. They weren't pushing her so much. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. I guess her movie days are done. I got that one wrong. I got that one so wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, she really isn't that important to the movie. But I think that that was probably a smart move on her part to to not, you know, try to star in something on her first run out. So. Well, no, she had already done perfect, uh, Picture Perfect and Object well, of My Affection, I think. I'm going to tell you what. It may be an unpopular opinion, but both of those movies are very likable, even if they weren't, like, you know, don't necessarily have a high opinion from everyone else yeah but what, I think what, what she did right though was she picked character-based stuff instead of you know wacky a lot of it seemed like a lot of the stuff those guys were picking it only gave them a moment or two you know and then look none of them are, are even able to carry tv shows really right now and and yet she's still what an guys? well everybody from friends i mean i should say oh okay because you remember out of the gate everybody um, started doing movies but she seemed to be a little bit slower with the you know the leading roles and then she started embracing like smart independent-minded movies like office space the good girl yeah. uh friends with money and stuff like that mm-hmm. 
I mean, in reality, the more mainstream stuff that she's done isn't really as good as the independent smaller Probably stuff Probably not. Produces. It's usually when she's a support, when she's a lead. It's usually the... I like Adam Sandler, but I feel like a lot of times he just casts people. Just It could be any woman. They're good actresses. Katie Holmes. Yeah. Uh, uh, who was in Felicity again? Uh, um, what? The girl that was in Felicity. She was in Bedtime Stories with Adam Sandler. I was just thinking. Carrie Russell? Carrie Russell, thank you. Oh. But I was just thinking, they're good actresses, but they're I... always like just generic roles. Like they're never given like a strong lead. Only person that seemed to hold right. their own with him was Jennifer Anderson and Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we do this. We, right. don't, we get off on tangents. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's just the way it is. We yeah. haven't really talked about the movie hardly at all. Yeah. Well, okay, okay. So, so have you, you've worked in an office. I've worked in an office a little bit, but for the most part, I didn't realize that these rules work for every place. I mean, in retail, as long as I have, I see it as just a different setting, but same exact behavior and uh, <laughs> just ask <asking> the <laughs> things you have to suffer every day. <laughs> so I have to, I have to tell you that part of my job is definitely office based. Like I don't exclusively work in an office environment, but it's, it's an element of what I do. So there are days in my life where I sit in my cubicle and the people around me drive me so crazy that I just like plug my ears and it's like, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up <laughs> until I can handle it. Or it's like, I, there's so much that just makes you insane because you have no privacy and no control over anything. And you have to be around all these people who have all these incredibly annoying habits and voices and laughs that just like make you want to poke your own eyes out i do remember so, a perfume situation that was out of hand I was like whoa she just made this stuff <laughs> i can definitely relate is my point yes um <clears throat> that i think anywhere i mean especially in that specific kind of environment it is incredibly spot on especially the lady who had like the the receptionist lady oh, who God. has her like you know, a, a little routine, pop exactly the way. Thank you for calling me. In a tech. How can I help yeah. you? Yeah, and you find and you find that that if you have to answer the phone repeatedly, you have to find like a rhythm or a cadence that works for you, especially if you hate answering the telephone. Uh-huh. I don't answer the phone like that, but one of my cubicle, like one of my like coworkers, kind of does, and it's like. That's not even what your voice sounds like in normal life. It's like her, it's like her performance. It's a performance persona. voice. I do the same thing. Yeah. I'll answer the phone and say, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for calling so-so. And uh, this is Michael. How can I help you? And it's like, that's not yeah, how I, I talk at all. What is wrong with me? <laughs> but if you didn't do that, then like, especially for me, I hate talking on the telephone and I have to like psych myself out you know, psych myself up for it. Uh-huh. And that's part of how I manage to do it every single day is to develop some kind of persona that yeah. I can handle for I, that I, two hour period of time. The one thing I can relate to most is avoiding people. I mean, he just does it with Lumberg, but just in general, like I, when I know someone's coming, I'm like, fuck, I gotta find something else to do. I, I, I have diarrhea. I have to go. Thank you. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk to them. Wow. Just make up something and run away because I know there's always some drama coming around the corner or some bullshit. Uh, don't break your arm, pat yourself in the back kind of story that doesn't even matter. What is wrong with you? You know, when people yeah. don't read other people's behavior, it's so bizarre. Like, can you read the room or not? And I, uh, self-absorbed narcissism yeah. is insane. 
No, I don't really don't think that people can't. There's a lot of people who that is not a skill they have, or maybe they just don't care. Maybe. That's also really yeah, possible. That could be a big thing, and that's a, a big thing I really related to the movie to the movie this time. I hadn't seen it in probably ten years, and I sat there going, "Okay, yep, I know that. Oh, I know that moment too. And why won't this work? It works mm-hmm. every other time, but this one time it won't work. And then it tells me instructions. It t- like we have a printer at work that just will not work right for anything, and it keeps telling me that I need to shake the toner or loosen. It. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And this is paper jam. Where's the paper? There's nothing in here. <laughs> just drives you mad you just want to take it out and smash it like they do yeah but it is a really interesting thing like because like office you know the monotony of everyday stuff is i mean it's just like the tv show the office people like that show because even though it's monotonous details it's that's what life is it's monotonous details yeah the the movie to me for a long time felt like you didn't have a plot and that it petered out halfway through. And I was so wrong. This time, it's not about the setup and the punchline, which a lot of the front half of this movie is about. It's setting up the situation. you got easy punchlines. But it's the second half that is much more plot-driven. And it actually, without it, the movie is flimsy throwaway, like just slice of life kind of thing. And mm. I appreciate it now more than before. I think that – I guess I didn't realize that you didn't care for it that much because I think that I've always – from the very first time I saw it, I, I liked it. Yeah, well, it was mostly but, you, I think, that you had purchased it, and that's how I had seen it more really? often. i almost certain you had it, and I think it's because after we saw Idiocracy, we went and revisited it, and then, then that's when I started to appreciate it more. I'd only seen it, like, maybe once or twice. Hmm. And I was like, okay, Idiocracy was a friggin' masterpiece. I gotta go back and watch Office Space again. And... I, I got it, but this last time was really just when it dug in. I really understood everything that was going on and why I connected to it so much more, which is a problem with Extract. And I, I got that, and I'm going to watch that again because I feel like oh, Extract was just yeah. trying to copy what worked in Office Space. I don't know. I didn't – I mean I've seen it. I don't hate it, but I didn't really connect with uh, Extract at all. It's funny how Mike Judge in theaters, his movies always bomb. They always bomb except for that Bill – or not Bill and Ted, uh, Beavis and Butthead – but on video, it always seems to find an audience. But took... then they have some, but they have some kind of cult appreciation. Yeah, and then everybody starts forward. talking about. It. I mean, Office Space is like twelve different special editions of this on DVD. It's almost as popular as, like, say, Super mm-hmm. Troopers or uh, Anchorman. And, and Idiocracy now yeah. is starting to really start. You know, cool, especially after so and so got elected, uh, we really started talking. About I feel Idiocracy. like. I feel like people actually reference Idiocracy way more than I would have thought. Yeah. So I do think that it has a pretty big following. And I don't dislike it, but I don't – I haven't seen it for a long time. I think I probably appreciate it even more now. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've always – I guess I've always preferred Office Space to any of his other movies. The – it felt like more of an independent movie, too, which is kind of odd because Fox really pushed this as a big comedy that was going to be a smash hit. I, mean, I know it was in February, but still, they thought I, I, the way they were pushing it, it was going to be a big hit. And then when it didn't open, I, it must have been like confused. It's like, well, wait a minute. like We probably put this in front of a bunch of people, and they said it was fantastic. And you know, test screenings and stuff like that. And movies like that happen a lot, though. Like When you look at all the great comedies yeah. growing up, maybe half of them were successful. Yeah, I think that's you know I don't know that there's a ton of of a ton of um, comedies that are just immediate hits. It's sort of like it needs time 
to like marinate. Yeah. Well, a lot of them seem like they're just ahead of the zeitgeist. You know what I mean? Like they always seem like there's a few years ahead of time. The great ones. I mean, I, I, I loathed Zoolander the first time I saw it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty stupid. And thought it was a pile of crap. And, you know, it just like, and, you know, it took a few more viewings to really start to enjoy it. And, and I mean, I still, I think it holds up so well still now. Do I like Zoolander too? Not so much. <laughs> I couldn't but, even finish know. it. I got a half hour in and I was like, I am done. This is bad. Yeah. But, but are very many comedies immediately hits? Like, not very many. Was Anchorman an immediate hit? That might be one of the exceptions. It might that, be. It wasn't a huge hit. Know, I'm thinking about the ones that are really, really big. And a lot of them, especially in yeah, the 80s, know. you know, they just, they don't hold up. Like, uh, analyze this. Does anybody talk about analyze this? That, may be, that movie made like $115 million. No one talks about it because it doesn't resonate as well. At that time, it was a huge hit, wasn't it? Yeah. And, of course, they made a crappy sequel. And thank goodness they didn't make a sequel to Office Space. I mean, it does wrap up everything you need yeah. to know. It, it, it Everybody's story comes full circle. And the second half of the movie is more driven by a plot point, which thankfully they say, oh, did you see this in a movie? The one where, you know, if there's uh, banking accounts or, or, or uh, companies, when they do their accounting, they always have like these 0.1 cent left over. Where does yeah. it go? It goes into this database yeah. where it just sits there. They did that a few years earlier in Hackers. And uh, uh, um, I feel like it was in another movie recently, too, where they did that. It's, it's the uh, comedy equivalent of spy movies where they have that thing where oh this one special drive has every single secret agent on it that's undercover and if we can't get oh, it back sure. it'll put them all at risk which has been used like 12 times which if you do it again you should be fired from hollywood honestly i don't know it seems to work yeah i don't know i'm so sick of it i can't believe that it's been in so many movies but um so the second half is more driven by that and that's when milton becomes more of a focus which I don't know if you knew this mm-hmm. because you're not a hardcore Saturday Night Live person. I mean, you're, you're a fan. You do watch it. But I've been hardcore since 89. And I remember Milton being a uh, short animated film around, I think it was season 93, 94 on SNL. Did you know that they did those? Uh, I feel like maybe it seems familiar. Yeah. I think we must have watched it at one point. Maybe. Yeah. They only did it like three times, and it's this really poorly animated on like literally on pieces of paper, you know, like notebook paper. And it's just Milton having a meltdown, and he looks a lot like uh, what's the what's the student counselor on uh, Freaks and Geeks? He looks like him. You know, the hippy dippy guy with the glass and the beard. Oh yeah, Gruber, what is? Hans... I don't know his actual name. Yeah, it's I remember the. the not Hans Gruber, that's from Die Hard. But there was a uh, comedic group, uh, Gruber and Allen. I can't remember which one he is, but um, Dave Gruber Allen, I think is his name. Um, but he looked like him, so he didn't look like uh, uh, shit. Uh, uh, Jimmy James. Oh my god, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Who plays Milton? From News Radio. Oh, you know that guy. Oh damn it! This is where I, <laughs> this is where I have to cheat and look. See that. He's one of those character actors that that everyone recognizes his face but never knows his name. You know what's funny is before oh. he was ever a comedic actor, I saw him on an episode of In the Heat of the Night as like a big old redneck racist. He's like, I want to kill those really? boss. And I'm like, you are a villain? What the hell? Oh, it's Steve Root. I personally think – Steve Root. Yeah, I feel <clears> like he really – you know, he's done a really huge variety of stuff and he's been around forever and <clears> – <throat> 
<laughs> you know, but he's one of those people you like know his face and you just you bet a lot of people don't know his name. He has two hundred and thirty seven acting credits. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, I know he does a lot of voice work. I think that... he was on King of the Hill and that's how they knew each other. Oh, I totally forgot that he is on um Barry. Have you seen that yet? No, I haven't. Uh, HBO is eludes me. HBO eludes me. <laughs> I well I don't I don't have HBO either. I rented the first season oh, okay. from from the library. But it was profoundly amazing. Oh good. And <clears throat> I never had so much respect for Bill Hader in my entire existence. But Stephen Root's amazing and I'll have to tell you, Henry, Henry Winkler, never better. I know, I've heard good things. So try to try to get it because I think you'd really like it. All right. Um, so that's pretty much it with the office space. I, I like I said, I think it's gotten better with time. Um, the next one we want to discuss is horrible bosses, which um, I think is the whole new structure of New Line Cinema. You remember New Line Cinema went out of business because like Golden Compass and Rush Hour Three, a whole bunch of movies that were very expensive went out of business. Warner Brothers shut them down and said, "Look, we're going to have like a small division where we're going to do like lower budget movies, and it's just going to be like our like the way." Um, I don't want to say like Universal has Focus or like Disney had Touchstone and Hollywood Pictures and stuff like that. You know where there was like a lower budget division where they didn't have to put so much money and promotion into it? I feel like mm-hmm. that's the start of that new division where they were really focused on these lower budget but like high quality comedies that still continue today. Because they're still doing – they did like Fist Fight, which is great, and Game Night. Um, well, sadly, the, the Vacation movie, which I, I didn't think was very good. But – Horrible Bosses is the first from that that team. I think it's Toby Emmerich, which uh, was running it at the time. I think he's now running Warner Brothers generally. But kind of a formula of a high-concept comedy with tons and tons of jokes. And fill it with guys from, you know, they're maybe supporting role kind of people in movies or leads on TV shows. And it always seems to work. Mm-hmm. The uh, I was looking at the uh-huh. history of this, and I always thought that John Francis Daly was... You know, and him and his uh, uh, co-writer partner, um, Jonathan Goldstein, were the guys who created Horrible Bosses. It was, and it was actually a mm-hmm. totally different script. I think it was supposed to be even darker. And then they were brought in oh. to, uh, you know, ramp it up more comedy. And who knew the kid from Freaks and Geeks would be one of the hottest writers in Hollywood and is now a director? Yeah, I mean, in a... It's not like he didn't have an acting career anymore. It's not like he had to start over again. You know, he was still acting. He was on many, 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 many seasons of Bones <laughs> as an adult. Yeah. <clears throat> and I say that with much love. He was on seven, eight years of that show. Um, and maybe that was what gave him a foot in the door. I don't know. Well, if I remember you know, correctly, uh, his dad. But I'm it almost... was a huge shock to me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his but... father was the guy who ran Hemdale Pictures. Uh, for people who don't know Hemdale, uh, it was a company, I believe, hmm. from 82 to 91. They were an independent company, but their biggest hit was financing Terminator. Oh, that's interesting. So I'm pretty yeah, sure he had. I mean, at that young too, he had to have some sort of. It's really hard to get a kid who's under 18, you know, as good as he was in Hollywood, <laughs> without some sort of like family connection. It's, that they have to go like nationwide discovery. You know, he's. It said that he got his basically his acting career on stage, and he started out in. The Who's Tommy, playing oh. young Tommy. <laughs> no kidding. Which I did not know, and is completely shocking. 
Um, but anyway, I mean, he was still pretty young when, uh, you know, he, he transitioned from a kid actor from Freaks and Geeks to like waiting to Bones. He seemed to transition pretty easily. And, you know, a couple of years later starts writing these screenplays, which, you know, the first one was really surprising to us, but now he has quite a few things under his belt. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he, they're they're trying to get him and his co-writer uh, to do The Flash. I mean, they did a very, very good job with the script for Homecoming. I thought that was an excellent script. And Game Night is crazy entertaining. Oh, gosh, it is so entertaining. What a, I mean, I figured it'd be funny, but it, there were so many surprises in that movie. And I'm going to say Homecoming was truly magnificent. Yeah. I was so, so surprised. And it's funny is I was watching trailers for the cast of this movie. I just went on to like Voodoo and, you know, they have like the link on the actor. You hit the movie, you can watch the trailer. I didn't realize how many times Charlie Day, uh, Jason Sudeikis, Jason Bateman, Jennifer Aniston, they're all interlinked in all of these movies. Like there's a switch with Jason Bateman and Jennifer Aniston. And then there's We're the Millers with Sudeikis and Jennifer Aniston. Of course, Jennifer Aniston was in The Office Space, which links us to the back of the last movie. And then you have, Mm -hmm. uh, if I remember correctly, Charlie is in Vacation uh, for a small part, which is done by the guys who wrote this movie. And then we we have Office Party, I believe, with Jennifer Mm -hmm. Aniston and Jason Bateman. It just continues over and over and over and over. These people keep finding each other. Yep. I think Lindsay Sloan is even in a few movies with Sudeikis. Oh, I think so, too. You know, the, the frustrating thing about about Sudeikis is, like, I mean, he's funny. and But now I, I think that he just seems to play the same thing all the time. And I just kind of want to punch him. But at the same time, he's not, he's not playing to his strengths. If he's going to do the Chevy Chase style person, which he mm-hmm. clearly seems to have that talent, like a Ryan Reynolds. Yes. Um, <clears throat> smart ass with charm and good looking. Yes. You would yes. think that he would have started doing bigger studio stuff, but he seems to be like Kristen Wiig. You do one for them. Mm-hmm. Normally it's one for them, one for you. It's, it's like the James Franco rule with these guys. They're doing like five movies for themselves and then one for the studio. And the problem is yeah. all of these movies are bombing. They're, they're not, they're barely getting released. They're not making any money. They're not getting the critical acclaim. So how many more times is it going to come back to them and ask? I mean, is this an is this a case of like Adam Sandler where he just wants to like hang out and goof around with this frenzy, get paid? Yeah, but same because... time, I'm gonna say this: Christian Wiig and just Sudeikis are actually trying to do movies that are different. I think that are off the beaten path. Whereas Sandler's just like, give me eighty million dollars, I'm gonna go on vacation, and while I'm on vacation, I'm gonna make this movie. That's a completely different attitude. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Sudeikis is signed yeah. to Fletch, which is the perfect role for him. But it's been like four years now, and I just don't uh, – this Fletch seems to be impossible to make. Yeah, I mean, Fletch is a really hard one. I don't actually see him connected to Fletch anymore. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Fletch is a really tough role because he has to be, like, a smartass and smarmy but still likable, and you still want him to, like – you know, you have, to, you have to do the goofball characters. It's got to be a thriller. I say it should be a show. I don't think, I mean, there's like, what, 20 oh. books? I still don't understand why they want to keep making this a movie. This is clearly a lower budget thing. You know, don't make a movie series mm-hmm. about it. You make it uh, TV movies or like a, just a film series with like, you know, one book. Yeah. Each book is a season. So you just do six op- episodes a season. 
you know, that's the way that, you know, television is really moving to that, uh, you know, finally <coughs> catching on to, like, British television formatting. Right. And, the, and it really should be embraced. I mean, I really think they should. It, it's worth considering. I don't. I don't necessarily want to sit through another Fletch movie, but if they, you know, did the t- did the TV show in an interesting way, I probably like that. So with this, movie, I will say. Oh, I, oh, I was just gonna say I will. Yes. Oh no. That I really enjoyed him on Last Man on Earth. It's not. It got canceled, so it's not on anymore. But you know, Will Forte, uh, he created the show, and it was really. Uh, uh, it's challenging at times for me not to also want to poke him in the eye, but um, but uh, Jason Sudeikis was in it on and off as his brother, and he was really just kind of a straight man, not smarmy, not over the top, not ridiculous, and he was really likable. So I think that he, you know, should consider not doing the same kind of character every. Yeah, that's a problem with horrible bosses. Is <clears throat> excuse me, is that the three of them? Yes, they're kind of playing characters that we already knew. Jason Bateman's always been kind of like the put upon smartass, yes. and you yes. know Charlie's always been kind of wired and high strung. But yes, and Sudeikis like the charming smartass, and this takes their talents that we already knew. The problem is, it seems like because of the success of this movie, that's all they get cast as. It's, it's really yes. strange that they don't give them... Maybe that's why Sudeikis does so many independent movies. And that's why I see Bateman, like, he's going off and doing different things. That show Ozarks that he does is completely different than mm-hmm. anything else. But Charlie, I think, has the hardest problem. I think the stuff he's yeah. been in has been interesting, but it doesn't give him leading man kind of qualities. Like, he's funny in Pacific Rim movies. And <laughs> yeah. um, Fist Fight, I thought, was fantastic. It should have been bigger than it was. Uh, but I don't know how much time he has left as, as a studio actor. I think he's going to have to go back to TV. That's the thing, though, is that their personalities, they all have such a big personalities, and it's hard to have all that in one movie. Yeah. They, they really do a good job in this series, though. And that's the yeah. problem, I think, with Anchorman 2, is that everybody became a star, for the most part, after the first one came out, there was so much of a gap that all of a sudden, like Paul Rudd's an A-lister, you know, uh, yeah, um, uh, Steve Carell, so like that. So then all of a sudden, they had to give all of them these stories instead of having them yeah. intertwine, work together. They're like, oh, let's let's have him have his chunk and his chunk and his chunk, and it doesn't work. The energy's gone. Whereas Horrible Bosses yeah. Two is smart enough to keep everything pretty much on the same playing field. I wasn't disappointed by it. I, I can't believe it made so much less money and that the critics hated it. I didn't go to the theater and see it. I had a choice of this or Dumb and Dumber 2, and I went to see Dumb and Dumber 2 and I'm somewhat disappointed. But when I got home, <laughs> there, there's some stuff in that movie that doesn't work, but there's somewhat, there's a lot that does, and most of it's because of Jeff Daniels is killing it. He doesn't get enough credit for the Dumb and Dumb series. But when I saw Horrible Bosses 2 on video, I was like, this is almost as good as the original. I mean, most sequels are dumb because there's no reason to continue, only because of financial reasons. But this actually progressed yeah. their their characters and the storyline in a in a different direction. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I I do have to say, do you think that that L Ed Helms and um, Jason Sudeikis seem too similar sometimes? No. Uh, someone said that on my post when I when I wrote that or whatever. I never see that. I cannot stand Ed Helms at all. 
I can't I either. I don't see the two similar. When I heard that Ed Helms was going to be in vacation, I was like, oh, you cast the wrong person. The problem is we already had We're the Millers, and that's basically a vacation yes. movie. So this is nonsense. We know what um, – oh, shit. Uh, not Reggie. What? What's the kid's name in, in the vacation movies? The main guy? You know, the uh, Anthony Michael Hall's Rusty? character? Rusty. Jeez, Rusty? I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah. Um, he is not a Rusty in any way whatsoever. I still don't understand. Look, no. you already have the name value, and Ed Helms was not really a name. Yes, he had the hangover movies. I'll give you that. Why not just cast Anthony Michael Hall? Or um, the kid from... I don't know. Uh, Big Bang Theory. My memory is going. What is the guy's name from Big Bang why, Theory? Why couldn't... Why couldn't he just revise this, re, reprise his own character? He would, it would have been perfect. Yeah, it just made the no right sense. Age. Uh, oh, Johnny Galecki. He's, Johnny Galecki was a household name. He was on Big Bang Theory. They couldn't cast him. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I can't stand Ed Helms. I think he's incredibly like he's like used toilet paper. Yeah, but here's the thing: is a lot of what I don't in Vacation does work. Those kids are hilarious, and Christina Applegate is always solid. But I just kept looking at him, going, "Nope, you are a sad sack, dopey son of a bitch, and you are nothing like, you know, yep. like Rusty. He's not Rusty." Nope. How do we get on this? Okay, so let's go back to Horrible Bosses before we wrap this up. Um, well, it was to be fair, the movie was also written and directed by Francis John Francis Daly. Is that oh. how? That's right, yeah. Hide it all in. And then okay. a lot of those guys do show up in that and We're the Millers. I forgot. Jason Bateman's in We're the Millers, right? No, or is that Central Intelligence? I uh, can't remember now. <laughs> um, you're getting too many things confused. Stop it. Yeah, but that's it's all the same studio, all these same teams. They just do like one or two movies a year. And um, I think Horror Bosses is the highlight of that whole thing. Game Night's still phenomenal. But, okay, so I want to talk real quickly about the villains in uh, Horrible Bosses, which oh, are sure. almost okay. better. They're almost better than the heroes. Um, kind of. Colin Farrell doesn't get any credit for Horrible Bosses, and he's only in a small chunk of it because he gets killed pretty early on. He is absolutely outrageous in this movie. He kind of reminds me of, like, of Tom Cruise. The level that of weirdness that he goes to when he's in um, what's that Tropic one Thunder. movie? Yes, Tropic Thunder. That's kind of what how I compare it. It's like his level of commitment to being just like kind of like disgusting and <laughs> yes. ridiculous. And so, and it's like yeah, you really did do a good job of this. I really appreciate guys like. Or, or anybody really, any actor who is mostly known for, you know, the hero, attractive guy crap. And then, you know, you gotta move, you gotta continue with your career by taking risks. And this was a brilliant risk for him. Yeah, I just wish he'd do more comedies because he clearly has a talent for it. Yes. And uh, Kevin Spacey, like we didn't know that he was, you know when they revealed that he was an asshole in real life, I go, yeah, just like James Woods. Uh-huh. They're good at playing just assholes like, yeah. because they're not acting, they are just assholes. Like, <laughs> just like almost every character he's ever played. Yeah, it's just he's, when you hear that. It's himself. Yeah, you know how when you think about certain actors, you're like, I almost can guarantee you that, this is, that they're not acting, this is who they really are? Yeah. It's uh, that kind. yeah. Um, <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. I was watching some of the bloopers, and you can see that she's struggling hard to get through all those filthy, filthy lines, especially in the second one. She's like, I can't say this. It is really filthy. Yeah, but it's daring, too, because she just sheds everything that we know about her to be this completely crazy woman. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it kind of it. When watching it recently, it did make me feel a little icky inside. <laughs> and I think maybe that's the way they want you to feel. They want her to make you feel uncomfortable. And because you they they, they were, want you to know how Charlie feels. Right. That's Wait, what I'm saying. I don't. What's his actual character name? No, I isn't don't know. that his name you in know, the movie? Oh no, no, it's Nick Kurtdale. Remember, because there's a joke in the it, second one, Nick Kurtdale, and it's like, oh, you got to change that made, name. It made me. So so mad and i'm sure this is how it really is but you know how like um jason sudeikis character kept kept like making him feel like shit or like trying to leave like what's your problem like any guy would want this kind of thing when the woman was very clearly sexually harassing him oh yeah and it was awful you know that's not a fun thing for people to experience, even if you're a guy. No, and Sudeikis says that's part of his character, though, which makes it harder even in the sequel after going through all that. I think that's one of the weak parts is that after everything they go through in the first movie, he he never advances a person. He's still a perv, and he's still yeah. like just thinking of yep. himself. And that's the one weakness in part two is that he never advanced, whereas everybody else evolved. And yeah. Um. I love the fact that Charlie Day hands up like, oh, I have kids now. Not only do I have kids, I have three at the same, you know, I have triplets and this overwhelming, <laughs> just such a struggle. And Jason Bateman's finally out from under the thumb of his boss and, you know, he's on his mm-hmm. own. But yeah, uh, Sudeikis' character doesn't evolve. And I was, I kind of wish there was a three, but I don't know where else they would go with the three. And if the only reason they do it is if, is if uh, yeah. they did make his character better. But you know what? I guess there is no other way. So it's almost better that part two did bomb because they achieved their goal. They're their own bosses at the end of the first movie. Yeah, I mean, movie. and also, isn't it realistic that no matter what, no matter what your circumstance, some people are never going to change. Yeah, that's true. Like, even given the opportunity, there some people are still, I mean, some people are going to change, but a lot of people are still going to be dicks. I think it's probably more realistic that's that, true. That's, you know, that's he a big, didn't change. That's a big plot point in the second movie is that they think Chris Pine is going to be better. Like, he's going to get, you know, he starts as a, a wannabe mm-hmm. douchebag. It, it really does remind me, uh, uh, the whole plot point of, uh, what's his name, Christopher, not Eklitson, uh I have the DVD in my hand, Christoph Waltz. Waltz, yeah, sure. To me, I mean, this is before the election ever happened, before we really even knew a whole bunch about the guy, but Christoph Waltz to me is Trump, and Chris Pine is mm-hmm. Trump Jr., and, you know, this broken down uh, character who has almost like a Stockholm Syndrome with his own father, and mm. you just keep expecting, like, the way that his behavior would go, that he would just reject him. He does in the movie, but not in real life, and Chris Pine's character goes from being like a suck-up to... You know, being their friend and desperate for some sort of attention from his father, but it turns out his father's even bigger shit than you thought, and he's had enough. And then he starts working with them to get the money, and he just he. But the problem is, you forget that he's a narcissist just like his father. And yes, he's gonna pull yeah. one over on them and try to get away with the crime, just like the way Kevin Spacey did. There's no remorse. Yeah. But it's like Aniston's it's like character. His, his, yeah. yeah. Aniston and. Um, uh, motherfucker Jones, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Fox, their characters do get better because they're, uh, what would you call them, chaotic neutral? Who become chaotic I don't, good? I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know what to label that. Okay. It's not. It's just nonsense. I don't know. They have their moments. Yeah. You know, and I think, like, I wish I had watched Horrible Bosses, too. I didn't know we were going to talk about it. But, um... You know, that kind of person that 
you know, Chris Pine's character is they, you, you just align yourself with whatever you think or whoever you think will get you closer to your own personal goals. Cause it's really just about you Yeah. and whoever can get you what you really need and want. That's all it is. It doesn't matter who it is. There's You're, no Yeah, the loyalty. enemy of my enemy is, is my friend until yourself. I have no use for him anymore. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I, I just – you've seen it. I'm assuming you've seen the second one. I have, but okay. – No, I just want – I apologize if I just ruined the end for you, but at least you've seen it. No, I just kind of want to throw it in there a little bit. No, I don't care. I, I just watched it yesterday, but – um, I, I think that's pretty much everything I want to say about these movies. They get better with yeah. age. Um, they're really mm, uh, yes. Uh, they found their cult audience, and I, I enjoy the fact that most of the cast still works a bunch. You know, uh, they, they always have that to look back on. If you know, well, I did this shitty movie, but at least I have this to hold on to. No, I think that definitely these movies um, don't just like. Um, continue to be enjoyable they get better with time even you know yeah. um well the shitty part is every the directors, viewing is enjoyable the directors don't the horrible bosses movie the two directors uh, seth gordon or i think it's yeah seth almost sort of seth gordon who I think so. he did king of kong a fistful of quarters which i thought was awesome then he did that really oh, shitty yeah. Four Christmases, which is a burning fire of shit. Oh, <laughs> uh, horrible yeah, bosses. Is a burning fire of shit. Identity Thief is okay, but it's essentially like a midnight run, no, plain strange automobiles. It's not good. But Baywatch was fucking garbage. Starts off funny, first twenty minutes is funny, and then it just derails. It's a shame because it could have been so good, like the Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, remake, well, remake, you know. Yeah, and then Horrible Bosses too. The director Sean Anders, and I knew that there was a little bit of trouble when I saw his name because he was known for I think Sex Drive, That's My Boy, um, and then after mm. this he's done those two Daddy Ho- Daddy's Home movies, and I was like, Ugh, uh, not the right guy for this. Yeah, it's weird because it looks like other than Identity Thief. He's in Baywatch. He's mostly directing TV episodes. Yeah, that's where you get the money. And Goldberg's is where it's at right now. Everybody's talking about Goldberg's. Cool. You know, and he's the guiding hand on that. He's executive producer like five different TV shows. So maybe that to him is more rewarding than the movies. And more power to him if it is. But he also has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen projects in the work as a director so i think he's fucking fine okay okay wow yeah and just just about as many as a producer so you know goldberg's yeah you know he's he's actually producing really stellar television right now Uh he's doing atypical atypical on netflix if you haven't seen that is a fantastic show uh sneaky pete on uh amazon prime which i haven't seen but would really like to the Good Doctor, which is a very popular show, Goldberg's very popular show, and also has just started a spinoff, which I think will probably get canceled because it is not a good show. But uh, he's, you know, he's he's keeping pretty busy. He's got a lot going on, and you know, the majority of the shows he's doing are very good or very popular or I, both. I wonder if he has taken over. Uh, so. This is a little too in the nose of business, uh, showbiz. But uh, Brett Ratner had signed a deal, like the most lucrative deal ever uh, signed. I think it was for 60 movies and various TV shows for Warner oh Brothers. And a lot of them would go to New Line. 
I mean, just an insane deal. Uh-huh. If you look up Brett Ratner, he produced everything for that studio from like 2009 to just a couple years ago. But they had but to cut. Brett Ratner sucks. Yeah, they, well, he's a terrible director. But they cut the deal with him once he got accused of all that right. sexual harassment. Sure. But so they don't have like that that guy putting projects together yeah. to bring to them, and maybe that's why Seth Gordon has so much in production. Maybe he's taken over for Brett Ratner. I gotta look this up. Maybe, but but it's just like not only you know was he he turns out to be a terrible person, but Brett Ratner was has is not and never has been a good director. No, why I are mean, they putting so much? Yeah, I think it's just because well, he just makes so much money. I think I think he has a keen uh, ear. Maybe not so much as a director, but as a producer, he knew what to put together. I mean, if you look at his IMDb, a lot of those movies are really good. Um, Trying to think, yeah, and then well, Mike Judge. The problem with him is that he never seems to be be, I can't talk. Be able to break out beyond animated shows. He's had so much success in animation, but when it comes to live action, it didn't work until Silicon Valley, which is one of the greatest TV shows. Right. I say I don't watch HBO, but I I got those from the library. I've seen the first three seasons, and they're just jaw dropping. But I do think that that it's also. Not a show that has really caught on with a lot of people. That's true. It might be a called audience. That's the glory of HBO is that you can have a called audience. As long as people are signing up for your uh, service, yeah. the ratings are kind mm-hmm. of a side note. Yes. I mean, I am a, completely aware of what it is and think, wow, that's an interesting, fun cast, and I'd like to watch that. But I have I actually watched it? No. Yeah, it's so good. Um <laughs> I guess that's pretty much it for us with this episode. Um, I told her it was going to be a half hour. So. I lied. Uh, <laughs> I didn't actually believe you when yeah, you said Yeah, I usually that. lie. I think I told you that last time, too. We ended up going for about as long. Um, <laughs> it's not really a lie. You have good intentions. It's just when we talk to each other, things get a little crazy. Yeah. Plus, I was sick, and I was like, I'm not going to talk for very long. Oh, well. Um, so check us out on Facebook under Video Night. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter at Retro Rocket Entertainment, and uh, I think that's about it. Anything you want to throw in there before we go? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Everybody have a good night. <laughs>